Hello, Tile friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Tile Money Podcast. This podcast is strengthening the tile industry. We're doing this with business education designed for tile contractors by tile contractors. This education is helping tile contractors worldwide, really, to build sustainable, profitable businesses. The result of this education is a stronger industry from the installer up. We've got another great interview today. I've got Martin Brooks out of San Francisco area with uh, Heritage Marble and Tile. Uh, If you didn't listen to the first interview we did with him about a year ago, you can go back and and look for that. Martin Brooks um, is is the title uh, of that episode. So we're going to get a little bit deeper into his business today, and I'm, I'm very excited Um, Before I bring him on, I just want to take a minute to thank my sponsors, the National Tile Contractors Association, uh, the NTCA. You know, that is where you can find and make friends with some of the nation's most profitable uh, and professional tile contractors. Some of them have been uh, doing this for generations. And if you're looking to find new new friends uh, and, and really imitate some of the most professional contractors, that is where you will find them inside the NTCA. Um, and, and that can be your most valuable resource. So if you need to find out more about the NTCA, you can visit them at tile-assn.com to find out more about what they have to offer. Ladecrete International is another one of our great sponsors. I want to thank Ladecrete. Uh, they've been uh, around uh, working with uh, installation products for a long time. In fact, they invented Thinset right here in America, right here in the United States. And they're to this day, they're a privately held company, privately owned company. And they have a lot of good family values. It's one of the one of their best qualities, in my opinion. Uh, not not to mention their innovative products. Um, GoBoard is another sponsor of ours. GoBoard is a lightweight, waterproof tile backer. Uh, comes in various sizes and, and thicknesses. Uh, it's a backer board, a, div, a division from Johns Mansville. It's easy to cut with a utility knife. Easy to handle. Easy to install. You can build a complete shower assembly with their products. So uh, it saves you time and which time is money. So it's a good thing when you're saving time on the job. And happytileguy.com, happytileguy.com is where you can uh, get your get your websites uh, made for tile contractors by tile contractors. So happytileguy.com for all things websites. All right, let me bring Martin on to the stage here. Hi, Martin. How are you today? Hi, Luke. Good. Thank you. Yourself? I'm doing excellent. Appreciate it. Looks I'd like- just like to thank you for everything you do for the tile community and uh, tile money. I do watch it on uh, Facebook and the added value you brought to the tile contractor out there, a guy starting up has, has been amazing. Um, really uh, gets them to see the light and uh, really to understand what their worth is. And uh, I've seen that a lot of them are now making money rather than just treading water. So I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for for saying that. I, I appreciate that a lot. It is a, it's a it's a ple- it's a pleasure and a privilege of mine. And I I do rejoice to see every time someone says we're making better money, uh, we've established a better business. It's a good thing. It's it's really good for the industry. And I I appreciate being able to to do this. So, my pleasure. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, how are you today? It looks like a nice seventy degree weather day over there. It's a beautiful day in California. Uh, we've got clear sky, smoke mm. has dissipated. Uh, I think we're almost getting close towards the end of the fire season. And uh, life is good, apart from, you know, a few challenges with COVID. But here in the, I'm in the residential, high-end residential, and it's, it's booming. It's going along really good right now. 
Well, that's good to hear. That's really good to hear. And I'm glad the weather is nice and the, and the smoke cleared up, man. What a, what a couple, what a rough couple months there. Um, that was oh, a few weeks ago. It would have looked like Mars behind me. Wow. I mean, it was like an orange. It was surreal. It was, uh, really, uh, interesting. Uh, it's funny cause the sun wasn't out, but you had a shadow. Yeah. So you kind of walked out and you could see a shadow, but there was no sun and the big old orange pumpkin up there in the sky that you could look directly at. Wow. And wow. It was unreal. And, and it didn't get light for, for one day. It never, it never broke daylight that day. We had a really unusual um, um, situation where the, the fog, the smoke got trapped in with the fog. Oh. And so, uh, or the, the, the other way around, actually, sure. the, the, the fog got trapped in with the smoke and the sun couldn't burn the fog off. So we ended up with this orange glow all day. It was, uh, it was weird. Were people working or what was happening? Yeah. You know, we, we, all, we meet at seven every morning. And when we met, I said to my guys, this morning's like, there's something strange. Usually when we meet it's dark, but uh, by the time we dispatch, it's light, and that morning never got light. Right, and you know they said, "Well, the clock, you know, it's like getting towards fall. It's going to get dark." And I said, "No, this is a strange day. There's something wrong with this day." And lo and behold, it was a strange day. Wow! And it's really how that affects you too mentally, how it affects your attitude, everything. Um, you know, with that sunlight deprivation, there's something that makes it weird that uh, it's not a normal day. It just throws you off off balance it's yeah. like throwing a curveball at you yeah yeah i believe it i, I know that for well, a fact had, yeah we, we had to gear up with we had to actually go out and buy lights uh, for inside the home we're working on uh, it's a it's a remodel but a quite a sizable home but we've been working in natural light but that day we couldn't so we had to go to the store and buy temporary lights because it was so dark inside Mm, wow wow yeah weird times i know i was talking with dirk sullivan and he couldn't you know he, you know they had it really bad in portland there for a few weeks as well and he couldn't go shopping to the hardware store it was so bad you know things were so bad they were yep. closing down yep. down different stores and stuff so really oh, yeah. incredible incredible but um I guess life goes on and, and you know, that about a year ago, uh, or a little, yeah, a little over a year ago, we had done a, a an interview together, Martin at we coverings. Did a coverings. Yeah. Yep. That, that was a good time. And and here we are. So yep. much has changed. Uh, just really incredible how much has changed since, you know, a year and a half ago when we were at coverings together. Who would have thought it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who, who would have thought this? I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't, well, I guess they did write a book about some of this stuff that's going on, but, um, I mean, it, I, I, I think the one thing that we've all come to realize how we have to adapt to the, to the environment mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the, the guys who, who understand the business are able to adapt faster. Uh, you know, we've made a few changes. We lost one of my uh, key guys. Uh, we offloaded a truck, uh, that, that still had value to it. So I was able to pull some money out. Okay. And uh, we just we just uh, through that COVID uh, through about the second month into COVID, uh, we kind of realized that we needed to change the way we did business, and that it wasn't going to be business as usual. Uh, but you know, it 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 it's like anything else. Change is difficult, but once you do it and you get used to it, then you realize it was for the right reason, and you're able to move on. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's the one thing that people need to realize is you need to start looking and, and analyzing your business. Now we're into COVID. I'm sure that most people have, 
but I think, it, you know, you change to the environment and the guys who survive are the ones who change quick enough so that the, the you know, the, the things that are thrown at you don't pull you down with them. And so you're able to come out the other side and still be a profitable business. Yeah. I remember you, you know, mentioning how you had lost one of your key installers and, you mm-hmm. know, some of these different changes, you know, we were, we were all, you know, uh, really attuned to, you know, quickly adapting. And I know you quickly adapted as well to COVID and the way you communicate and different things. We, we've talked about this in the groups in the past few months a lot, um, and, you know, so, so what did you decide to do? You, it sounds like you decided to, to run less installers. You, you haven't replaced that installer. Well, here's the deal. I feel like when a door closes, another one opens. So when that door closed, which was sad, uh, 18 years of uh, getting him through CTI act, yeah. uh, company truck, all the benefits, year end bonus. I mean, a lot of benefits that he gave up, Yeah. Uh, which I thought at the time he, he, he made a decision um, which was a little hasty and probably, I don't know whether he regrets it or not, but it opened the door for his helper who apparently, uh, when I delve a little deeper, the helper was doing most of the work anyway. Oh, really? So the helper, the helper actually moved up. It'd been his helper for probably six years. So his helper actually moved up to doing installation. We tied him out on a couple of smaller jobs. Uh, I gave him a raise. Uh, he actually excelled at the first job. So I gave him another raise. And he's in line to get another raise because he really stepped up. So once that one door closes, another door of opportunity opens for someone else. And he was more than willing uh, because of the rewards associated with it to step into the shoes of the guy. Now, he's, he's not like the other guy yet, but I feel for sure in a couple of years, he'll be right there with, with the guy who actually left. So uh, we didn't lose an installer. We actually hired uh, another helper. So we just moved a helper up into installer. I see. Oh, well that, yeah, that worked out good in that way. Tell me a little bit more about your system for, uh, uh, bonuses and raises. Um, how, how do you calculate that? Well, uh, year end raise every year. So, and it, you know, it uh, depends at what scale they're at, how much I move them up. Uh, if they show, I mean, it's all about performance. So if they can prove to me, uh, that they are worth more, they get more, I don't hold them back. So the sky's the limit really for them if they are willing to put the time in and show me that they're worthy of more money, they'll get more money. It's, I, I don't believe in rewarding someone unless they can prove to me that they're, they're worthy of being rewarded. So they have to prove first that they're able to, you know, meet their burden. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on the profitability. So I look at it the year end and I see, uh, you know, I look at my tax burden and I look at how much I could give the guys uh, to reduce my tax burden, and then it's split that way. So the past three years, they've had a pretty good year-end bonus based on uh, profitability. Okay, excellent. Yeah, it seems. And, and and because you know the three years that actually longer than that, we've had probably a good run of like six or seven years right now. But they've also had new trucks too. We've taken uh, advantage of the tax code, the one seven nine, and we've we've bought new trucks too. Uh, but like I just said. A moment ago, we sold one of those because the key guy the, uh, uh, who left had the truck. And uh, I didn't want to reward the guy stepping up from a helper right away with the truck. He'll have to work up to that. But he knows that the reward's there if he works hard and, and he shows the, you know, the loyalty and uh, the quality of work that eventually he will 
get a company truck also. So you found purchasing the trucks rather than leasing them is the way to go? Yeah. I mean, because the one that, uh, that uh, I just sold, I still had value. I mean, I was able to pull money out of it yeah. uh, when I sold it. So it wasn't a complete loss, whereas a lease, uh, you know, I'd probably turn it in, pay a penalty or keep it till the year end or till the lease went out and then have no value at all. So I, I'm uh, actually a lever of purchasing trucks. We do keep them. Uh, we maintain them really well. So we keep them longer. We keep them probably eight to 10 years to get the full value out of them. And then there's still some left on it, maybe for a down payment. You still get a couple of grand left after eight, nine years if you take care of them. So there's still something for a down payment on a, on a new one. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. And I, and I my, my buying time is year end too. So I take care of the model year that's uh, expiring. Uh, usually get a great deal and, uh, you know, financing is pretty cheap right now. So for me, purchasing has always made the most sense. Yeah. Yeah. That does make a lot of sense. Thanks for, for, um, stating, you know, how you handle that. Speaking of transitions and, and this subject, you know, I was listening to our first interview, um, and we talked a little bit about the transition that you personally had to make. And it, and you said your wife kind of coerced you or, or you know, kind of put that seed in your head. Hey, it might be time to get off your knees and, and build a company and scale this with employees. Um, what was the hardest thing w with doing that? I know you mentioned it briefly, but I, I just want to dive into it a little bit more here on this one. I, I have a quick answer, delegating responsibility. So that was my biggest hurdle. Uh, knowing that you know, because you put so much passion when you start your business into it, because it's your name, it's your name that people ask for. They expect to see you there every day on your knees, laying tile. And for me, that was the biggest hurdle is delegating responsibility and, and removing myself from that. Um, and, and that really was hard. And I didn't do that immediately. I had to ease my way out of that gradually. So that, that whole thing took probably two to three years to ease myself out uh, where I didn't put my car hearts and my steel tap steel toe boots on in the morning. Uh, it, it took a while. Mm. Uh, but then but then when I did, I realized I could work at my business and uh, not at uh, installing tile. And what, and what? I've, been out, I've, been out of, I've been out of it so long, I don't know whether I'd want to uh, put a tile. I mean, I, you know, I feel like I can do it, but I don't think my body can anymore, but yeah. I'd love to. What was the what was the most shocking uh, result in a positive way that you know after those three years and I mean you kind of touched on it but what what would you say was the best thing to come out of getting off your knees? Well, realizing uh, that you can make more money as a business person than you can as a tile installer, and you know looking at the numbers differently and seeing where your money's going and just adjusting your business based on, uh, you know, what you see every day from a business standpoint rather than installing tile. I mean, for me, it was uh, it, it was tough. I mean, I'd be at Home Depot either 8 o'clock at night or 6 o'clock in the morning loading my truck up. Uh, I'd be running uh, uh, estimates during the day at lunchtime, leaving a helper to grab. Uh, it was hard. I mean, put in – you. I, I know the guys out there who are putting in 50, 60 hours a week trying to make it work. And it, it's very hard and it, it can be challenging for your family and challenging on many levels that uh, working that hard in your business is not always a good thing. 
because there's some sacrifice, whether it be family or your own personal health, there's a sacrifice. And so you have to have balance. You have to have good balance in your life. And you have to know, I mean, I know at the beginning to make any business work, it's hard work. You've got to put your time in. But then you have to realize that it's a fine balance too between family, health, and running a business too. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I always feel like it's um, it, it's like trying to grab something and it's always a two feet in front of you and you're always trying to grab for it and you never get there. And that's that's what it will be like unless you can check yourself and say it's always going to be there. It's how I structure my company and how I market myself that the work will always be a steady flow. So I, I started in business in 97 and I can honestly say even in the Great Recession, I've always had a steady flow of work. And I, I have a zero budget for advertising. I do not do any advertising at all. Wow. One of the things about living in California, don't leave your iPad out uh, in the direct sun because it shuts down when it gets too hot. <laughs> oh, did it? I was wondering. So. Yeah. We've had, I've had that happen before to someone else. <laughs> It actually went into emergency mode. It, it, to be honest, the ambient temperature is not that uh, high, but the surface temperature is obviously high, which is a, another thing tile guys need to be always careful of. Ambient and surface temp, two different things, and the, the swing between the two can be uh, quite dramatic. So remember that, guys. <laughs> ambient temperature is not the same as surface temp. That's a good, that's a good tip. Something that we don't think about or talk about, I, I don't think, very often. Oh, and it never really get apart from if you go inland, it's never really in the hundreds. It's always, you know, 80s, maybe up in the 90s uh, sometimes. So, you know, when they look at the bag and they see, you know, the the um, workability temp is, you know, 50 to, say, 80, 90, somewhere in that range, they always feel like they're OK. And I've been to job sites where I've hit it with my infrared thermometer and the surface temps being 120. And I said, guys. When you're installing thin set and you're spreading, it's just vaporizing the moisture right, right there. It's just right. boom, it's gone. And then you wonder why you have a bond breaker. It's like there's no the 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 thin set can't uh, it can't grow mm-hmm. because you've vaporized all the moisture in it. And so it's understanding that that difference between surface and uh, and ambient. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting. I mean, I think. That's just one of those little quirky things that, that we don't think about. And, you know, all this tile, I mean, I, I've done it myself, installed tile uh, and, and had issues that I had to go back and fix. And um, right. it's, it's no fun. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. On the job I'm thinking well, that, that, of, we that, even used, that, that, I mean, I think we used like 254, you know, Latacrete Thinset and it was just too hot. It was just too hot of the day. It's vaporized. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's one thing that, uh, again, uh, comes into play when you're a, a, a small business owner and there's only a couple of you. And then going back to do those repairs that you didn't think that the surface temp was was coming into play, now it costs you money. Now, And that's the other thing, too, is like you know, all those pickup things I had to do and try to work them into my schedule was difficult. It, it was uh, – you, you had to be uh, like a circus act. You had to juggle things around to make things work. So you got one guy saying, why are you not here this morning at eight? And then you got another guy saying, I need two tiles repairing. 
And then that comes in where you do the 12 hour days and, you know, it can really tell on, on, on you personally and with your family and everything. So having a balance in your life and realizing that uh, it's not going to go away tomorrow and it's going to be always be there. If you do good work uh, at a fair price and add value, then you're, you're going to be busy. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm kind of shocked, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not shocked, you know, I, I guess, but I'm, uh, you, it, you mentioned that you don't run any ads or you don't really market yourself that heavily. Um, because it's all, mm -hmm. a lot of it's word of mouth. And like you're saying, and I understand, I, you know, I understand the concept and, and you've been there for, um, you know, 20 years, did, did we say nine, 1997? So 23 years, is it? Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, you've built this reputation. Um, but you know, it, San Francisco, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I'm a, I'm from California too. And it, it just seems like there's so many good tiles installers. Would you say this is kind of a, a, a true statement? I mean, they can do work that, that looks good. And, and there's a, there's a plethora. It well, seems like we're almost over. There's, the, there's the key word They can do tile that looks good. Yeah. So we, we have a lot of installers that do work that looks good. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand the meat and potatoes of any tile job is not what the tile looks like when it's finished is what's behind it. Right. And so I, you know, because I, I have my inspection company too, and uh, I, can, I can tell you a lot of guys do exceptional work from the front. But when you start to take it to pieces and you start to forensically look at it from behind, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the, you know, a lot of them have just not kept up with the, uh, with materials, with the, uh, you know, I, Thin set materials have now become like a car model. Every year they seem to change. There's always a different um, version or it changes. It's very difficult. Even myself, who's heavily involved in the industry, it's hard to keep up with the changes that happen. Right. Almost like, you know, on a monthly basis, LHT, uh, you know, it's like, you know, now we have plus. They're using the word plus a lot. So a lot of manufacturers, one comes out with us and everyone else has to follow suit. So it's, uh, it's difficult if you're not um, in tune and you're not keeping up with the manufacturers, you're going to get left behind and then you're not going to know what materials are available to make your job easier. So that's where, for me, the NTCA has really added uh, value is being at the forefront and knowing the materials sometimes before they even hit the marketplace of what they can do and what the capabilities are. And and with the with the group of people who are in the NTCA too, sharing uh, stories about how that material works, how it would benefit, how not to use, it, how to use it, uh, really helps. Uh, and that's the real value of a trade association is being able to exchange stories with uh, fellow uh, people within that trade association, how it can benefit you, how you can put more money in your pocket. And how does that, how does that convey to the, the, the builders that you work with? Because I know you do a lot of subcontracting work, correct? Now all my, I mean, all my work, subcon we, we do very little homeowner work and that's where I've been able to cut my advertising mm -hmm. uh, budget because it's repeat business for general contractors who mm -hmm. we've worked for for many years. Uh, we feel blessed that they, uh, they, none of them actually, uh, they ask for estimates, but none of them ever question the pricing. Uh, and so the job's pretty much ours, uh, but I'm fair too. I don't gouge. I make sure everything's in line because I know they're looking at the numbers. They know they can, they can go backwards and, and roughly know what my square footage prices are when they look back. So I don't want to be out of line either. I want to make sure that they look at me as being honest, ethical, 
and offer them true value uh, and also that they can rely on me uh, when they need me. And, uh, you know, that, that we have a good working, honest relationship. And I think that's really important right now. It's like you could bounce from GC to GC right now. They're just happy that you pick the phone up and that you're available. But when things do tighten up, that's what gets you through the bad times is that re relationship, knowing that they can trust you and that you've been honest in the past and that you're not gadget. And I see that a lot on uh, social media where people are asking square foot prices and stuff. And people have to be very careful of that, first of all, because it's so regional and it depends what your burden is. I mean, a square foot price depends on how much it is to make profit, right, based on your burden. So, uh, you know, you can't just throw a number out there because it's not the same for every company. One person's overhead uh, and burden may be more than the others. So it's whatever it takes to make a reasonable profit. Mm. And uh, to 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 remain ethical and to maintain that relationship, because I I don't want one hit general contractors. There, those jobs don't work out so well for me because a lot of times it's not only me who's new on the job. It's the plumber, it's the drywall guy, it's the electrician. Nobody's worked together before, and so it's like a cake mix. Yeah. Uh, if you have a cake that comes out good every time, why mess with the ingredients? You put the same ingredients in and it's consistency. You get the same tasting cake and everyone's happy. You swap out for cheaper butter or cheaper flour and then all of a sudden they don't quite taste the same. And so that working for those general contractors actually ends up costing me money because the sequencing and everything or the, you know, it's like the plumber, for instance. He, he may not know how far out to set his uh, valve, whereas the plumbers we work for with a GC constantly knows exactly where to set his valve because he knows what we're going to do on the lot. Mm. And so it just consistency for me really works. Yeah. And like I say, we're not, we don't go out there actually soliciting for work. Work comes to us. And usually it's a GC who is talking with his GC buddies who's had a bad experience with a tile guy and he's like, you want to use this guy? We've, we've used him for 10 years, never had an issue. He does what he said he's going to do and, you know, his prices are reasonable and that's how we end up building our portfolio of GCs. That makes a lot of sense. And so what do you, when you're meeting a new GC to today, how do you establish that you're in line with each other, um, your values, you know, the, the things that you care about? Do you talk a lot about your, you, you know, your work with the NTCA? Do you talk a lot about the, the intricacies of, you know, installation and, and things like that? Or how do you go about it? I, I typically find they've already researched me before they reach out to me. And so the introductions already happened before with someone who said, you need to use this guy. So they know they've been online. They search me out. They know who I am. And then um, what I'll do is I'll do, I have a, 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 a rule I follow. I give them three bids. And if I don't get a job within three bids, I stop bidding. Yeah. Uh, if we, if we, and I told them, it's like, you know, it's like not everyone is a good fit for us and vice versa. If I can't win a job on three bids, then obviously we're out of line and uh, I, I can't do business with you. I'm not the new guy on the block who needs that job. Uh, and if you're an established company and your pricing's out of line with mine, there's something wrong there. There's something drastically wrong because I know where the general contractors I work with is in line and they can get jobs based on my bid. So I know my pricing is not out of line now. Uh, I always worry about that they carry my numbers too. You know, they go for a higher performing guy who knows 
what is uh, what it takes to run his business, and then they use the one bucket guy to do the job, but they won't tell the owner and they'll carry my number, mm. uh, which means more money in their pocket too. So uh, I'll give them three bids. I'll take my time to try to uh, get the job, but if it doesn't work out, I just tell them thank you. Just don't send any more bids my way. Makes sense. How many how many employees? Refresh my memory. You have how many employees right now? Uh, six. Six plus myself, so we're you know we're a company of seven. So it's it's a fairly you know uh, I I mean I would say that's you know a- average size for a tile installation company, but because of your you know in my head and, and I know a lot of guys thinking you know here we have uh, Martin Brooks the executive you know board member of the NTCA uh, vice president you know. Um, with such a good reputation, we've just heard it. I mean, nobody's going to dispute that. Uh, you know, what, why don't you go to 12? Why don't you go to 24? I mean, what, what is stopping you from scaling uh, further? Well, I, at one point I did get up to 12 and I found out when I ran the numbers, I made actually less money than I did with six. Mm. So why give myself an extra headache? Uh, and the fact that I had to try to monitor all those jobs. So six it's a good number for me. I can monitor the jobs. I, can, I don't need a superintendent uh, uh, to go and uh, supervise those jobs each day with 12. I found that because I didn't hire someone, which would have been back then probably an $80,000 a year uh, cost, uh, which I had then to build in, uh, I couldn't do it. It just didn't, the numbers didn't work. So you end up, you can, you can turn over more money if you want, but the, uh, the chance of making more profit is probably uh, slim for me. Now, I'm not saying that's the same for everyone. You might you may find a different marketplace than myself. Mm-hmm. I I just feel very comfortable in the marketplace that I'm in, and uh, and and at my uh, at my point in my career, don't feel like I need the extra. I mean, if I was 30 years old and doing this, I'd probably think differently. But I'm not. And so I look at it right now as the consistency, uh, keeping the company stable, uh, having the ability to pass it on to my key employee, which is Gabriel, having him take over the business and and, uh, have it be as good for him as it was for me. Mm. Excellent. Yeah. And and if he he wants to grow it to 12, 15 guys, he's more than welcome. Yeah. But again, you, you, it's not just a matter of waking up one morning and saying, I'm going to bid every job in town, get every job in town and try to make this work. Mm. There's a lot of thought. Go, going from, from A to B is a lot more difficult that, than guys anticipate. And a lot of them find out the hard way. But doing more work doesn't necessarily mean more money. Yeah. Yeah. So you were, you were keeping a careful look at that, that number that is really the only number that matters is the net profit, right? At, at, exactly. And yeah, you, why, why kill yourself uh, doing more work and the, and the profit yeah. goes down, not up, goes in the wrong direction. Yeah. And, and so then, I would and imagine, then you risk. Yeah. At six, at six people, you have uh, less risk, you know, uh, more, you know, a good profit percentage that suits your needs, suits your lifestyle. Um, and I, I, I think that's really the message I wanted to convey is a lot of, and you know, sometimes we all have to learn that on our own, right? We all have to find our comfort zone. And like you said, some, some guys might want to be, uh, the, the, yep. the largest company out there, you know, they might want to really dominate that space, but it, it's really, I, all plug them. I mean, I, I have no objection to that. There, I, some of my friends have very large companies. And they're very successful, mm. but it's just not, it's just not for me. I, you, you know, it's like a state of mind. You've got to be, 
you've got to be driven to that. I'm not driven to that. I'm more, uh, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I'm more artisan, more like we do special projects. We do, we're more of a, of a very specialized tile company. We're just not the ones who go in and slap tile on a wall and worry about square foot. How much are we getting in yeah. today? That's not how we operate. And, and that's our, that's our comfort zone. We're just, we're just comfortable. And and we 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 don't want to go in any other direction right now. It's very it feels very good. I talk to tile contractors every day, and a lot of them do want to be where you're at. They want to be the artisan. They want to do um, the the tile designs that are are very forward um, or or very you know unique. They're just tired of of doing the same thing twelve by twenty fours every day. What advice would you give them to start crafting their niche into that artisan world? Well, you, you've got, first of all, you know, you need to be able to have the skills to do that kind of work because it's not everyone can do that. Right. So you've got to carve out that. First of all, it's like you've got to build the craft. You've got to, uh, you've got to actually perfect the craft before you can start to build that marketplace. Once you perfect the craft and that the local uh, tile distributors know that you've perfected that craft, they'll feel more than comfortable in referring you out. So the pool grotto that we just won for the, the five-star and the CID award, was one that came down from a supply house, ceramic tile design in San Rafael, who only knew, only knew of two two guys who was who was competent at doing that. So we bid against another guy, and the homeowner uh, felt like we came across more confident that we could do it. We did put barriers in the way. Uh, I knew going into it was going to be difficult. Uh, we didn't do a bid. We did a time and materials. Uh, thank God we did, because uh, it did have some challenges. But she felt confident that we could do it. And so it was down to just two people. It was like, you know, it's a flip of a coin, right? Who's going to get the job? And so I think once you carve out that marketplace within the tile supply distribution chain, uh, that the work comes to you. You don't seek it out. It comes to you. Mm-hmm. And we feel very blessed that people understand and know uh, through executing work that's been difficult, that they can confidently refer it back, knowing that we can do it, that we can make their tile look good. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you put in, I mean, that tile alone was over $200,000 for that tile. So that's wow. a huge risk somebody's taking. Wow. You know, it's a, it's a huge risk that they're taking that they're actually putting a lot of trust in you to perfect that installation. Yeah. And and it's and, and there are many guys out there who I know would have said, we can do it, we can do it, knowing that they can't, but they would have messed it all up and it would have been another $200,000 of tile in a six-month wait to get that tile. Wow. Yeah. If, but if, but it, it's not something that comes overnight. Carving out that niche market takes, takes time and it does take hard work and it takes a certain uh, level of expertise to be able to do that. Yeah. Not for everyone. So have patience. And, and you got to have patience and do every yep. job, do every job. Your, your absolute yep. best. Uh, it, it, friends. And when, and when you make a mistake, you got to be willing to, to, first of all, accept that you made a mistake and secondly, go back and fix it. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like that's a, it's a male thing. We, you know, we never want to ask directions when we're driving right. Cause we always know where we're going, even if we don't. But a lot of times I find that guys, uh, uh, the ego gets in the way and it would be a lot easier just to admit you did something wrong and fix it than it would to argue and ruin your reputation. And it's really difficult. You have a, you, you come to a crossroads and you, you, you turn left or you turn right. 
And I find that a lot of guys are just in the wrong direction and they ruin it. It takes years to build a reputation and one job to ruin it. And they're willing sometimes just to put the reputation on the line for, for a fix that's quite easily. I've been in that position myself uh, where I actually, working for a GC who wouldn't listen to me, and I told him the $5,000 fix is less than litigation. It cost me alone right. $32,000 for his poor judgment, even though I was telling him because I wasn't steering the ship. He was. Mm. And he took it down the wrong path, and it cost me $32,000 for a $5,000 fix. Wow. And so again, you've got to be careful of the GCs you work for too, because they can also ruin your reputation based on their reputation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Do your homework on your GCs, right? Exactly. You, yep. I, I imagine it sounds like you do that a lot. When you I, I, you know, it's like, first thing I do is go online and check. Yeah. I mean, I'll go to Yelp. I'll, I'll do a few other things just to find out a little bit of background about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're looking in California because we have CSLB. So, you know, a lot of times I'll go on there and I'll check them out, see how long they've been in business, see how many times the business has changed hands, and just to see that they are who they say they are. Because a lot of times they're not. Yeah. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. So it's like, check out your GC. Just, do, just take 10 minutes, out to, to 10 minutes out of your day to check them out, see, see if, if you want to have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. See if it's a good fit. Yeah. And it's no, it's no hard feelings. I don't feel bad that I don't do business with them. It's an opportunity and I decide whether I'm going to take that opportunity or not. Yeah. On that, on that grotto you did. And if if you're listening to this podcast and and you haven't seen this uh, grotto that Heritage Marble did here uh, recently finished and and won some awards for you, check out the link in the show notes. I'll, I'll send a link to the tile letter magazine uh, online edition where this is uh, showcased here. Um, Martin, you said you, you did that T and M, um, how do you sell a T and M job? I mean, is this, you know, is this common? And then, you know, tell me a little bit more. I mean, do you, do you have any more information on, 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 on the deciding factor? You know, like you're saying, this was 200 grand worth of tile and, and they went with you. Do you have any insider information? Do you know who the other company was? I mean, we don't have to talk names or anything, but. Uh, I don't know. They, they didn't disclose that, but the, the other company was quite a, you know, it's like probably about. 40, 50 miles away. So he wasn't close either, but he was willing to come up and do it. Mm. Um, and, and I think he'd also had experience with Seach's glass. So he knew how to work with glass. Mm. It's funny because out of that came another referral from a Seach's glass install and very complicated, actually probably more so complicated than the grotto. Mm. Beautiful. In an indoor swimming pool in San Francisco, I met with the general contractor who does not have a good reputation. So I told the designer, I will not work with the general contractor. I will only work with you. So we already set the ground rules for that. Uh, The general contractor pushed back with the owner and said he has a guy. He has actually got a guy from Grass Valley. So if you know the Bay Area, Grass Valley is probably 100, 120 miles uh, east to come and do the job because his resources obviously have got burned up. So he has to go 120 miles to get a guy to come and uh, insult Seachie's glass. And the guy didn't even know Seachie's glass. He didn't even know Oceanside. He didn't even know how to use epoxy. And I'm thinking to myself, this job is not going to go well. Somebody, this is the perfect example of somebody's going to buy this glass tile twice. And uh, based on the fact that the designer got it, she understood it. She wanted to use me. 
but uh, you know, it's all sometimes even the owners with money want to save money, and they they you know they they look at the two bids, and it's like, how can it be that far off? Right. I always, uh, how can it be? You know, because sometimes we looked upon like bag of potato chips. You go to Whole Foods, it's ten dollars. You go to Safeway, it's the same brand, same name. Same amount of chips in there, and it's only five dollars. So I'm going to buy it from Safeway. Why would I go to Whole Foods and pay twice as much? I feel like that's how we looked at sometimes from the consumer. Is like we not looked yeah. at it independently uh, based on qualification and skill set. We looked upon as a commodity, and why is this guy twice the cost of this guy? Well, first of all, the ingredients I'm using are twice the cost of the other guy, and I know what I'm doing when I go into the job. So this is going to be. You know, no mistakes is going to be actually is going to meet or exceed your expectation. And then think about the time the general contractor has to oversee and the time to put in looking at this underperforming subcontractor because he's unqualified. Mm-hmm. Think about the extra time there. But, you know, again, this could be a general contractor carried by cost and then use the underperforming subcontractor and then just pocketed the rest of the money. Who knows? But I knew that uh, I didn't want to do business with him based on uh, what I knew about him. I'd already done my research. So my way forward was only through the designer. And we've done jobs like that. Uh, we just did another one this year that I refused to work with the GC uh, through a past bad experience of uh, delayed payment. Um, uh, the owner wanted to use us, so he went directly with us and paid us directly and just went around the GC. So I don't feel bad about it. I, I mean, I'll do that. If I don't want to work with someone, I'll tell them, you know, it's like, these are the terms. If you don't like the terms, then we, I'm sorry, we can't do business together. You know, Martin, this is such a, this is such a problem in our, in our industry. You know, I, I could tell you story after tor- story. I mean, that, this is the reason I chose to take my, my business um, down in San Luis Obispo to direct to the homeowner. Now, eventually I did find some, some builders that I, I started working with who did value me, but it, you know, and, and we're talking about, you know, different markets, first of all, um, but, but expensive homes, you know, nice big homes. And it seemed like the bigger the home, the, the less the price was, you know, per bathroom or whatever for, for the, for the subcontractors. And I just, I never understood that because the tile was always, you know, intricate tile, you know, sometimes, you know, all the tiles that you know, and we talk about, I mean, I've been on Oceanside glass fireplaces as well, huge fireplaces on the beach, you know, and I didn't get it. And, um, what, what can we do to fight back against this, um, commodity, you know, vision or perception that the, that the clients sometimes have and, and builders, I feel like, you know, uh, most of them have this, it's a commodity. It's, it's, you know, it's just, uh, what, do you have any insight into what we can do to fight? Well, I, I actually do. I asked that question many years ago as, because I feel like the GC, uh, the way they did business changed probably 15 20 years ago and what they would do, they would go into a homeowner, uh, you know, the, on the wealthy side, they say, we can build you that house for $10 million. Uh, no change orders, fixed costs. We're going to do it. And then they would then go backwards and they'd make the size 10 foot fit in a size five shoe. So they would already determine how much profit they needed out of the job. So say they needed two, two and a half million dollars profit out of that job. So they got seven and a half million dollars uh, left to make that shoe fit, and they would they would get somebody 
somewhere eventually right. to make that shoe fit. Right. And 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 I believe that's where it went wrong is because they made this promise up front to mm. the homeowners how much they could build a home for. Right. And then all of a sudden they're they're t- they're carving out their profit because they're the banker, right? It, it's just like you know, they're the banker and they're going to divvy up the money to whoever they want, but they're going to make sure that their profits are protected and they're going to make sure that their, their, their piece of the pie is going to be secured and they'll get other people to come in, whether underperforming or not. They'll take the underperforming guy out of business because they'll monitor it, they'll oversee it, and he'll lose his pants. He'll either go out of business or he'll, uh, he won't work for that general contractor again. But that's typically how it, how it works. Now, you get the reputable builders who go in there and, uh, uh, say, at initial planning stage. For me, they ask for initial budgets, but they enable me to do change orders. Mm. So I go in there and do change orders. These other guys have already struck a deal with the homeowner where it's a fixed cost. There's going to be no change orders. And so then the subcontractor becomes beholden to the general contractor. And then the general contractor is going to decide when and how he gets paid, if he gets paid at all. And if you're starting out in business and you're not doing your liens, your pre-liens, they're going to know that. I can tell you, all our jobs that we do, that we put a pre-lien and we go through the lien process, we know we get paid before the other guys who didn't because that's our only leverage. So if a plumber comes on and he's not done his pre-lean and he's desperate for money and I'm desperate for money and we're both asking at the same time, I'm going to get paid before him because he's already relinquished his rights to get paid. Mm, right. So, it's it, it, you know, those forms are readily available that I fill out on my phone from CSLB in California. Right. So I've, I've got them downloaded and put them into Adobe on my phone. I fill them out on my phone and send them directly. And, you know, there's a difference between what they should pay and what they want to pay. And so they always get somebody to come in at what they want to pay rather than what they should be paying yeah. uh, because they're going to guarantee they're the banker. They're going to guarantee their profits at the end. And everyone else is pretty much, you know, is going to take a bath. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're wary of those. And that's why I do my checking up front to make sure, you know, is this guy good? Do I want to do business? I'll make a few phone calls actually to some competitive tile companies who will have a relationship with that's the other thing too I, I mean i'm i'm giving work away right now to a couple of guys a couple of ntca members who i know do good work mm-hmm. and uh I'll, I'll actually give them the referral because you know i want i want the person who's calling me up to have a good experience and i know they will rather than going on the open market and finding somebody who they're gonna have a bad experience i feel that doesn't help anyone especially tile contractors now we're all looked upon the same right all oh, these tile guys they ripped me off poorly so that word gets around they don't know who the tile guy was they just know they had a bad experience with the tile guy yeah so if if i can give them and point them in a the direction to somebody who does good work that's a good experience for them right and and I, i'm also helping out a fellow competitor who i know does good work and i know is competitively priced against me and he's not a bottom feeder right so they they, they get a true co- a, a, a true indication of how much it really is going to cost rather than trying to find someone who's a bottom feeder. Right. Because even this, in, even in this economy, there are a lot of bottom feeders out there still who are really underselling themselves and don't know the true value. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, it, it is. And it's shocking. You're right. In this economy, I mean, everybody's saying how busy they are, how busy they are. And yet, you know, it, there's a hesitancy to raise their prices. And I, I think, you know, friends that are listening to this, that's the only thing we can do to combat this is stick to your guns, stick to the price that you know is correct. You know, know your prices because uh, that that will enable you to say, I cannot go any lower than this. Um, whether you want to leave room for some negotiation or not, that's up to your, your business model, but you know, you cannot go below a certain number because you have to hit a profit and and then you keep looking for builders. I, you know, I see this all too often. Well, my builder or the guys in the Midwest or in other States who work for a lot of stores, which in California doesn't seem to be as big of a thing, but, uh, people who work for stores, well, I work for the store, they set the price, they set the price. And I say, well, technically you set the price. It's your business. You just have to keep looking for that, that partner who's right. going to pay you and know your worth, you know, know your value. Right. So. right. I mean, why, why would the store set the price on, on something? Uh, why are you giving them the control? Why are you enabling them to have full control over the price to set the price based on tile they sell? I mean, yeah. that whole thing is, 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 is set up for failure because it's set on, it's really set up in their favor to make a sale on the tile because they're promising somebody they can get it, they can get the tile and get it installed for this much money per square foot. So, and then people look at it, it's like, okay, I'll make, they, they make the sale based on the tile. They have no business being in my business. Right. That's not their business. Their business is selling tile. Right. My business is installing tile. Yeah. And, and if, 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 if you, if you fail, at selling that tile and can't get it installed uh, and have it to perfection, then everyone's failed. Not only has the tile distributor failed, then the installers failed too. So it's a, it's a lose-lose when they do that, when they're trying to sell the tile based on that they're promising they can get it installed per square foot. It's not a, it's not a good business model, to be honest. I mean, the consumers like it because uh, it's favorable to them mm-hmm. until they get the tile installed and then it all falls off the wall and then it's not so favorable. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Uh, do you, are, are, do you have the type of business set up where you provide a lot of the tile and mark it up a little bit or are you just, yes, you do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I prefer to do it that way because then I take full responsibility for everything. hundred percent me. I actually do not like the jobs where tile is supplied by others because it usually is also driven by cost. And so they will be two square feet short rather than two square feet over. Mm-hmm. And that two square feet might take three months to get, or it might be a different tile lot. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden we have a problem with the tile. But then uh, fingers start pointing and it becomes my problem, which I clearly state to them, I didn't purchase the tile. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm very strict about that. It's like, I don't give quantities. If I'm not purchasing the tile, it's their responsibility to work out the quantities. Cause I don't want to have any responsibility. And it happened to me many years ago where we did not purchase the tile, but I gave quantities and there was three boxes left over at the end. And it's quite expensive tile. And the GC took that money out of my paycheck, oh. out of my last check. And he said, well, you gave me the quantities. You're responsible. I said, look, I'll never do this again. It's like you have it built. Hopefully you have it built into your purchase. I don't have it built into mine. I did not purchase the tile and we got into it. And he had a hard time understanding. And said, well, you gave me the quantities. I'm taking it off your final check. And it's like, dude, I'm not doing this again. Right. You learned your so, lesson. So, so, so no more quantities. Okay. It's like I buy the tile. It's my responsibility. This is the cost. Mm. 
Yeah. And there is, of course, there's markup. I'm handling it, so there's right. going to be there's going to be markup on top of that. Yeah. But if they like the pedestal job that we're doing in San Francisco, uh, we add it uh, in the bid. The GC adders take it all out. So the crane that I put on Facebook last week, he paid for that. He's lifting it on the roof. We're not touching it apart from the area where it's been installed. Mm. I told him that I'm, I'm not responsible. Yeah. You're getting it up on the roof, uh, which is what had in my favor. I mean, he was able to piggyback on somebody else's crane, mm. but otherwise we'd be taking that up uh, uh, in three flights of stairs with 24 by 24 porcelain tile. That kills my guys. You know, it's like, it's not, it, we, we took, almost 3,000 square feet of tile off our responsibility by having it lifted up with a crane. So I was happy to do that. Tell me a little bit more about this job. I'm glad you brought it up. I did want to dig into this pedestal systems in general. You know, not a lot of folks, uh, some folks might not even know what this is. Give us a brief overview on what it is and, and how you got this job and the the advantages, all the good stuff. So I think uh, pedestal systems are the biggest thing a tile contractor can take advantage of today. Mm. I think it's an it's an expanding marketplace. It is once you get the skill set down, it's relatively straightforward. There are some uh, things that you have to keep in mind all the time, uh, but I think it's very lucrative, and a lot of people are not familiar with it, so they're shying away. The tools and everything you need are very, uh, you know, very limited. You don't need a whole bunch of specialized equipment like you do with gauge porcelain. Um, I, I think for me, we've done lots of them right now, and we also are doing more in front of us because it's very popular. Architects love it. Uh, gives access to membranes. The tiles reusable if anything goes bad. Worst thing that can happen is you you, you break a tile or you get one that's rocking. You go in there and you change it out in five minutes. So mm. it's not, it's, it's not, you don't lose everything. No mortar beds to worry about. Drainage is not an issue. It works great. Mm -hmm. And uh, on the whole, architects, owners love it. It gives a usable space on a rooftop that probably wouldn't have been usable. You're not adding the added weight of a mud bed. You're not having to hump mud up there to mix it and put a mud bed in. So we feel like it's a good place for a tile guy to get into. It's a, it's, it's, it's a good place. The, the money's there for installing it right now it because very few people feel comfortable installing it. Mm -hmm. Are they, um, is this something that, uh, you know, you say the money's there. That's, that's good to hear. Um, I, well, people don't know how to cost right, right now because because it's an unknown, right? If you've not done it before, how long is it going to take? Well, I can tell you it takes longer probably than installing regular tile because there's a lot of moving parts. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of fine adjustments that you need to get it right. So I'm not going to tell people how much to charge. What I would say is do your research, do a small one first, and then work out what it costs you and then go from there. Yeah. Would you but say be it careful, throw it, Be careful throwing numbers out there. Would you say it takes like 20% longer? Uh, no, it's like probably eight ten percent longer. Okay, so and then the the overall cost to the end user is it is it going to be more than tile in general, or is, you know what I mean? Or well, the the, the cost of the pedestals is quite expensive. Mm. So and then then uh, figuring out the pedestal system can be tricky too. So you've got heights, you've got to find out where your low spots are, where your high spots are. 
And then you've got a, uh, one of the companies we were using had a lot of SKUs. They had a lot of different parts that we had to change from, you know, say from one and a half inch to two and a half. To, so you'd, you'd end up with all these different pieces. Uh, we're using uh, a, a new product, uh, Daltile have launched Profilitech. We're actually using that one on this. A lot less moving parts. Parts are interchangeable. So you don't need all the SKUs like you did on the old one we were using. And so we're looking forward to trying this system out to see if it works better. And then we'll look at the end to see how much waste we have when we're done and to see if it, if it actually did work out in the right direction. Okay. But I'm, I'm confident it will because the parts are interchangeable. So you don't need different parts for different heights to kind of screw together. Are you selling these? I, I actually did a seminar on that with Woody for coverings, which was uh, actually the Daltile, I think, used it as a link on this. But uh, it's a pretty informative uh, 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 seminar, uh, given the pitfalls and what you need to look out for. I don't know whether you can put a link on there, but it, it, uh, it actually was pretty informative. Yeah, I'll, I'll search for that and, and put a link in the show notes as well. No, I appreciate you reminding me of that. I did catch some of that um, with you and Woody, and I, I, I didn't catch the whole thing. So that that is interesting. Did you... Um, now, with these types of specialty jobs, like whether it's the pedestal system jobs, uh, large format tile, or you know anything like like you did with the grotto, like specialty handmade glass or you know clay tile, how important have you found and beneficial have you found a relationship with these manufacturers is? Oh, that's key. Yeah. I mean, uh, we do we do a lot of uh, fire clay heat. Uh, they know me. I know them. They refer me out. They they know that we can work with their material. Uh, they they feel, uh, especially fire clay, feel, feel very strong that somebody installs their material that is actually, you know, um, uh, used it and they've worked with it before. Uh, because we oftentimes will have a homeowner or a general contractor say, oh, I want tight joints on that material. And we just say, no, need to get someone else. We're not doing it because we know what it'll look like. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, so, you know, they, they, they know the value that we bring as a, as an installer that can work with their material. Yeah. And so I think that's very, that's, that's also, I mean, their material is only as good as we are installing it. Right. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, they're going to get the phone call too, typically they do. It's like, Oh, your tile looks awful. It didn't look like it did in the showroom. It's like, yeah, you went from like a, a three eighths joint down to an eighth. What do you expect? Yeah. What, what changed? The, the tile didn't change. The grab size uh, changed. Yeah. And then you're complaining that it looks different in the showroom. Of course it does. So, you know, it's like, and it's knowing how to win that battle when you go into a homeowner and they're telling you how to install this tile and what they're looking for and you fighting back and saying it can't be done. Mm. We yeah. can't, we can't, and we, we're not going to do it because we know that it won't, it won't look good. And that's where we'll do a mock-up. I mean, we'll, we'll do a mock-up. We'll show them. We just had one last week where the guy wanted, uh, we, we got a handmade tile from McIntyre and he wanted black grout on a white tile. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're not doing it. All right. It's like, no, I want it. I've got it in my mind. I've seen it. I want it done. It's like, we're not doing it. It's like, okay. So we, we, put a mock-up on a piece of hardy backer and we grouted it. And he said, you're not doing it. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I told you that we weren't doing it. And so he got it, but he had to see it because what he had in his mind and his vision right. was different than reality. Right. And, and so it's like, you know, had we not fought back there and we'd done it, he'd come into that room and it's like, oh my God, that looks awful. Yeah. Now who's going to pay for that? 
we have two options. We tear it all out or we have to go through the grab joints and we have to uh, take out all the grab. Uh, and I bet that uh, it's going to be hard for me to get paid for that. Right. So by doing a simple mock-up, you know, spending $30 on a bag of grab actually put that fire out and save me money rather than cost me money. Yeah. So don't look at that bag of grab as being look at that as insurance you're showing them exactly it may cost you 30 bucks and you may be able to ask for that but at least you're able to set an expectation rather than keep moving forward because again as men a lot of times we move forward we go forward rather than stop sometimes you're better off just stopping taking time out ask the questions and then move forward and, and we don't because we're in so much rush to get to the next job we end up hurting ourselves on the job we're on because we can't stop it's a it's it's common to allow the contractor or the client to talk us into something that we just know isn't right, and and so so save yourself. A good example, Luke, is I can ask all you tile guys out there: how many times have you put a cut in and you know it was wrong, right? But you looked at it, you looked at it, you looked at it, and you thought I'm going to leave it, okay. and then you end up taking it out later. Because I I'm a victim of that. I did it many times, and it's like, why do I keep doing this? Yeah, I know it was I know it was wrong, but I something inside me just couldn't take it out and put a new one in there. I just had to keep going forward. Yeah. And then suddenly when it starts to hurt you, you start, stop, you stop doing it, but it takes a learning process. It, it, you know, you, you, you've got to be spanked a few times before you realize it hurts. Yeah. I'm not going to be spanked anymore. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I just want to, you know, once again, reiterate what you said, because it addresses the question I had earlier as well. It kind of sheds some more light into, into getting into the niche markets, the, um, the artisan markets is when you, friends that are listening, when you do do, uh, when you are installing a, a specialty tile, like a fire clay tile, like uh, Martin mentioned here, I mean, here we have a, a product that it's a family owned business. It's really small. It's, it's an employee owned business actually. Um, and I've, I've installed quite a few of their tiles as well. And I always let them know I was installing their tile. I would interact with them primarily on social media just cause it's so easy. Mm -hmm. And let them know, hey, I'm installing this and communicate. I would call um, like Granada Tile. And, and, you know, when I first installed their um, uh, cement-based tile, um, you know, and make sure that I, I had their directions correct. I had some questions, you know, make sure you're communicating. That's one of the keys here because once they get to know you, it, it might take months, it might take a few years. Once they see you and get to know you, uh, they're going to start recommending because when they sell a product, it's a very personal thing for these companies. I mean, when they, some of these companies are selling, you know, directly to the, to the end user and then they'll say, yeah, we have a guy in your area. We have a company in your area we trust and, and here they are. So that, that could help somebody out there. You know, I hope. Yeah. One, like one, I say, it's a, yeah, you're right. It's a very specialized market and, and, and it's a very care. They care about what they sell. They care about what they make mm -hmm. and they care about who installs what they make and yeah. what they sell. Yeah. They actually truly care because it's more on the artisan side than it is just somebody stamping clay tile. You know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's very personal. And I think the people, the customers who buy that particular kind of tile, it's very personal to them too. Mm -hmm. You know, they, 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 there's a lot of thought and, and, uh, and passion goes into it. It's not just buying tile to cover a wall to act as a durable surface. It's actually for them, it's a piece of art that they look at every, every day yeah. and, and feel, and feel good about it. it. makes them feel good. 
Martin, we touched, we talked about this, um, during the last episode I, and, and maybe it was off air. I, I remember you, you mentioning how you were able to, um, keep all your employees during the 2008 recession. And you were, you were very proud, you know, of that fact. Um, and rightfully so, rightfully so. And now what are you doing? I mean, in the current, you know, economy we have, it's booming, uh, you know, but things are, you know, things are questionable. I mean, it's, it's an election year. We've, you know, we've just experienced six months like we've never experienced in our, in our lives before. Um, what, what do you actively do when you think about fortifying your business in case of another recession or, or whatever? Are you doing anything today that you can share? Well, my business is my uh, without my employees, without my installers and helpers, I don't have a business. So mm-hmm. they're first and foremost. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to preserve that part of my business before I preserve myself because without them, I'm, I heritage marble and tile does not exist. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm conservative in my spending. So I have reserves in case the downturn happens and I do find places to go and, you know, it's like in the in the recession, we everyone was paid a minimum of forty hours. I'd take jobs at cost uh, just to keep them busy. Sometimes, uh, not not too often, but I don't see that. But this is a different COVID is different than the Great Recession. I honestly, I remember telling a builder friend of mine, "This is going to be bad" because I'd been through similar recessions in England where. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. It went on and on and on. I mean, sometimes for years. And it felt very familiar. It felt like this is not. And he, 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 told, I, he, he came back to me years later and said, oh, you were right. Did you know? And I said, I just felt it. Mm. Because he said, no, nah, it's going to be over in 12 months. It's all, we're all going to move on. And it's like five years later, we're still trying to dig ourselves out of the hole. But I was able to do that. This is different. COVID is different. I feel... And I'm still very optimistic about 2021, given what I see in front of me and jobs I already have. Right. I feel like 2022 might be a little bit different, but I'm still very optimistic. I still think the market, uh, the U.S. is still going to be strong and that moving forward, we're all going to be okay. Take a deep breath. We're all going to be fine. We're all going to be good. We're all going to have a business. We're all going to have a roof over our heads and we're all going to be okay. Mm. And that and that business for me in California is 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 going to be okay. Mm. Again, you know, I've been around long enough, and I've carved out a niche market that I, you know, maybe I feel that way differently than other people, just because of where I am mm. and how long I've been in business. I'm not so sure how other people feel who are just starting in business, or you know, people who live in different parts of the country, how they feel. But I'm uh, optimistic about. California and the way forward. Uh, I just hope it's the same for everyone else, and and the, they do feel optimistic because there's nothing worse than waking up in the morning and feeling, uh, you know, despair and and not feeling uh, confident about, you know, how the the workforce and the the life's going. I mean, nobody wants to wake up to that in the morning. Uh, you want mm-hmm. to be optimistic and feel like, you know, you've got a future ahead of you. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear you're optimistic. I'm glad to hear you're you know you're booking out. And in fact, a lot of a lot of tile contractors are booking out well into 2021. So that is that is good news. I and I, I believe in in that power of 
you know, belief and, and putting positive, you know, energy out there in the world. And I think that can do a lot more good than we realize. So thank you. Martin. Well, people are always going to need a roof over the head. I mean, right. we're fortunate that first of all, you know, I feel very fortunate. We were classed as essential workers, so we had a place to go. Mm. I mean, in all honesty, I feel sorry for the restaurant owners mm. and, and the hospitality yeah. who have been stuck, who have not uh, had or been blessed with the same economy as we have as essential workers. Mm. We've actually done uh, uh, pretty good, and had we had a couple of shutdowns where we had uh, other people exposed on job sites, uh, but apart from that. Uh, being essential workers is actually being very fortunate for us that we've been able to maintain and go to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Martin, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day uh, to, to record this episode. I know this is going to be valuable and help a lot of people um, that are listening to this every week. And, and um, I appreciate your, the work you're doing and, and your willingness to share. You know, it means a lot. You're active in the Facebook groups. And, and I really appreciate your friendship. And, and thank you again for taking the time out. And I apologize for the technical issues we've had here. Anytime, Lou. Well, I just want to touch on uh, one thing because I'll be incoming president next year for NTCA. And uh, one of my goals with NTCA uh, is to continue the uh, training and education because I think that's really key and what NTCA excels at. Uh, we have great leadership with uh, Bart and Jim, mm -hmm. and we really see the value in, in uh, training and education. Mm -hmm. But my other thing is going to be uh, including, you know, the on <clears throat> underrepresented populations too and uh, people um, we i feel like we've always struggled with diversity in ntta mm. and uh, my my thing really is to bring in uh more people of different backgrounds uh you know and just have them uh feel like there's a home for them yeah. within ntca because i feel like a lot of times they feel like it's a closed door and i ask them please reach out to me i'm more than willing to uh talk with you and uh, if you have any suggestions how we make this work and how we move forward, I'd be more than willing to talk. You can email me or give me a call and uh, talk to me about it. But I think it's really important moving forward as an association that we do embrace people who feel like uh, NTCA is, is, is not a friendly place for them and that we can make it more friendly. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear that. And, you know, I, I agree. It is, um, it is, it is, you know, one of those things we're always working on. Right. And we always want to, uh, check ourselves as, as you know, an organization right. and as people, you know, so I like that. Well, I think be, being on the inside, you don't always necessarily see what's on the outside and how you perceive. Mm. And I think having, uh, trying to reach out and just, you know, it's like, whether it be, whether you have good things to say or bad things, I'd like to hear it because we can't change things unless we hear from the people out there yeah. who are either members or want to become members of how they feel about us. Yeah. And I think it's really important that I, as incoming president, reach out and uh, find out what your feelings are, what you want from us, how we can make you feel more inclusive and what we can do to have your business benefit from being uh, a member of NTCA. So that's really important. That's going to be a really hot ticket item for me for NTCA moving forward. That sounds good. Well, let me know if I can help in any way connecting connecting you with. Well, with... I'd, I'd actually like to have to more frequent calls, or rather than a year. Yeah. Maybe we do more on a, a more frequent basis, so we can reach out and just find out, and maybe bring some people in too who are members or want to become members. Maybe have more of a roundtable discussion for people to hear. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. I mean, we did we did one with Jim and Bart and, and Mark Heinlein uh, just last week, and that went yep. really well. You know, this this platform I'm using, and we can like we were live inside Facebook, um, and, and we can do that again and, and get real good interaction with the groups. Um, right. I, I appreciate right. your your willingness to do that, and we'll we'll definitely make that happen. I'm. I'm here to, you know, uh, utilize, you know, to continue, you know, uh, helping the tile industry strengthen, you know, that's, that's my goal too, is, is, you know, yep. we, we are aligned in, in our goals and, and we want to strengthen the tile industry. And I, I believe that that starts with the, with the installer really that, you know, right. Yeah. Well, we've, we've found out through your uh, group through tile money that it's helped people. Yeah. I mean, it really has helped people understand what the true value is what they bring to the table and and uh, have to have have actually uh, you've, you've given them the confidence to go out there and fight for what they should be getting rather than just sitting back and accepting what what they, what they get yeah. uh, they they have more value than they think right. but unless you start interacting within different groups you don't know what that value is mm. and uh, that's why I think as a you know as as a group, we have more power than uh, as an individual. Right. And uh, I feel like, you know, Tile Money, uh, NTCA, uh, you know, some of the other Facebook groups out there, we have a lot of power as a group yeah. to be able to share information with each other yeah. that benefits us in business. Uh, and even as an installer that we can use to our advantage. But if we don't, if we sit back and we don't participate, then uh, we're never going to know the value of that. So it's, in my opinion, it's better to try and fail than not try at all. But I do believe that there's a lot of benefits from these social media groups and NTCA that can benefit everyone and put more money in your pocket. Absolutely. And grow your business. Maybe you want to be that guy who has 250 employees. Uh, and I, I, like I said, there's some of my friends in NTCA are those companies who could probably show you the way out to get there and uh, understand how to build a company uh, you know, like step-by-step step and, and get to that, to get to that point where you need to get. That's, uh, you know, that, that's one of the most amazing things that I've found and the most beneficial and, you know, kind of the thing that I didn't think about when I, you know, before I became an NTCA member and started really interacting with the, the meetings that, that you're holding at the events and things of that nature I didn't realize I was going to be meeting and interacting and having lunch and dinner and drinks with some of the largest business owners, tile contractors in the United States. I mean, it just blew me away, you know, and, and that is, you know, so what you said is absolutely true. I mean, if somebody has a goal of being the largest company or, you know, the next, you know, the next big deal nationwide, you know, this is where you need to be. I mean, or if you want to have a, a solid six man crew, you know, or a three man crew and, and just, you know, really carve out a niche for yourself. This is where you need to be. And this is where you're going to talk to people like Martin. And um, I remember, you know, at TSP, you know, you were one of the first uh, guys I talked to there before the meeting got started. And we we got right into some, some really deep you know, eye-opening conversations. And it, it was, um, it was very beneficial because, you know, we were in a similar market. I mean, I'm, I'm just a few, you know, at the time I was just a four hour South of you in San Luis Obispo or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it was really, really beneficial. And, um, yeah, I, I'm going to continue expressing that to, to my audience for sure. Well, I saw a comment, uh, come up on Facebook a couple of weeks ago where all the, the TCNA is just a publication. It's just to sell books. No, it is not. 
is actually to help you in the way that you do business. And it's to help you stop getting in trouble. And it's to help you if you do get in trouble to justify why it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing about it's just to sell publications. No, it's not. It's put together. The people who sit at the table, some of those people are tile contractors who go out to fight for people like themselves to give them the information they need to stay out of trouble or to get paid. Mm -hmm. So it's not about selling a publication. It's very informative. And it's like something that everybody should have in the toolkit. Yeah. If you don't have it in your toolkit, you have no business installing tile, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's like, I can't tell you how many times I go out there and guys have never heard of it. It's like, how can you be installing tile and never heard of a TCNA or have a TCNA handbook? Yeah. That's criminal to me. <laughs> you know, would you work on your, would you work on your car without a workshop manual? Right. I mean, would you pop, pop the hood and start taking the engine apart bit by bit and not knowing how to put it back together? Of course mm. not. So, you know, it gives a very illustrated, even if you're not a very good reader, at least there's illustrations on there, how it's to, how it should be done. There's no reason or excuse why you should not have a TCA handbook in your, in your toolkit along with your trial on your wet saw. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. But social media has really helped us push. I mean, I, you know, it's really helped uh, push forward the, the, the crusade about, you know, better practices, better business practices, better installation techniques. Uh, it's really helping and uh, it's working progress, but I feel like we've made good ground. We get in there. Uh, we just we just need to take it to the next level. Yeah, I, I feel like social media has done more good than harm. You know, there's always, For sure. you know, you can always point to things and, and find arguments and find misinformation, you know, and and there's plenty of that out there to look for. But I, I choose to look for the good and and correct people where I can and, and learn where I can. I mean, certainly, you know, I have a lot to learn still. And, and that's why I keep asking these questions. Well, as long as you're able to separate out the entertainment from sure. uh, the stuff that you need. I mean, I, I, I like to read it all. I find some of it's fun. I take it, you know, it's lighthearted. It's, uh, some people take it seriously, but it's, sometimes it's just fun to watch it. Yeah. Uh, and so you just separate out the entertainment from the facts and the stuff that helps you. And if you're able to do that, then you're going to benefit. But uh, it's it's all good. I mean, we've got a lot of we've found that we now have many uh, tile celebrities that we didn't have before right. who are uh, uh, actively involved and do, you know, everybody offers value. They all offer something, but in a different way. Everyone's offering uh, different uh, segments uh, of the tile industry, which is some's entertainment. Uh, some is actually, you know, a value, but it's all good. Yeah. Uh, I like watching it all. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, turning any of it off. I actively like to monitor it and look through it. Sometimes I'll comment. Of late, though, I've not been commenting uh, so much. But uh, I like. I'm still, guys. I'm still watching you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad. I'm glad you are because it is important. I mean, for the president uh, of the NTCA to be involved and to be actively involved in these groups. I mean, this is who we are. You know, like it or not. I mean, you we we got to accept who we are, and, and then we can right. you know continue to help each other and move forward. So. Well, it's, it's very easy to, to get disconnected by being in the fishbowl swimming around looking out rather than right. people looking in. And I, I need to hear from both sides, you know, how we can make it a better tile world for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure you're going to be getting some emails and, and, and private messages and, and it sounds like you'll be welcoming them uh, and, and taking each one seriously. So I appreciate that dedication, Martin. For sure. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds good. All right. Will you enjoy the rest of your, your day there? 
and your, Thanks, your upcoming weekend. All right, Martin, talk to you soon. Thank you. You're talk welcome. to you soon. Bye. All right, Tile friends. Well, that was an encouraging conversation with Martin Brooks, the next president of the NTCA. Uh, it was really good to hear him uh, talk freely there towards the end. And the whole thing was was good. What am I saying? But it, it was encouraging to me to hear what he had to say off the cuff a little bit. And and we he had a lot of nuggets, a lot of nuggets in there that I know you're going to find beneficial and go back and listen to it again. Um, listen, friends, uh, that's it for today's podcast. I, I do want to tell you, I, I, I do have a Patreon account. The, the link is in the show notes and I will, I am creating, um, I'm starting to create some short episodes for Patreon only members and you can get started for as low as $5 a month. Uh, other Patreon, other people are, 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 you know, donating more than that. And I truly appreciate it. I truly appreciate each and every one of you. And I'll be doing some short episodes, uh, brief episodes, kind of some some nuggets that I'm I'm finding some of them are based on books I'm reading and other things of that nature so if you would like to support the work I'm doing you can do so uh, with the link below and become a, a monthly patreon uh, supporter and I appreciate that all right tile friends that's it for today until next week stay profitable out there and I'll talk to you soon <laughs>